Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, and we'll be reading verses 19 through 21. That can be found on page 1100 of your pew Bibles. It's in God's providence that we are up to Luke chapter 8, 19 through 21, as we come to a Sunday service that includes a profession of faith. For we see in in this text, if if I could put it this way, Jesus declaring and doing what we have seen just take place, a declaration of who is his own, who is his family, who is in that way most dear to him. And so this text fits very well for a profession of faith. Before we read from God's word, let's ask for his blessing. Lord God, as we open your word, we confess that our minds are dull, our understanding is weak, that we are beset with sin that remains, that we are those who have weak natures even. All these things, then, we would think could prove to be barriers to your word. And yet we know that these things are no barrier to you, the Holy Spirit, who takes the word of the Lord and applies it to the hearts of your people And Lord, we pray that that would take place right now and that what we would see displayed in the words of our Savior would be of comfort and as well challenged to us as we see Jesus declares himself for his covenant family and that we are called to do the same. We ask this in his name. Amen. Luke 8, 19-21 Then his mother and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. This passage is a rather short one, and yet... Rather remarkable in what we see take place in Jesus' words and his interactions. You see, the spirit of the day and the culture that we live in has many things that they'll hold up as as principles, as as good statements. And if you were to ask those in our culture, what's the the most important thing of life, you'd get many different answers, but I would, would guess that one of the most popular answers would be the most important thing in life is your family. In fact, if you were to look for for those type of quotes, you'd find many. I just took two of the ones I found. Famous basketball coach John Wooden said, The most important thing in the world is family and love. Actor Michael J. Fox said, Family is not an, an important thing, it's everything. You see, these statements are, are just merely a sample of that type of spirit. And in fact, for most people, if you were to say family's everything, most in the world would likely not and say, yes, you're right, family is everything. Or there would be, there'd be agreement, general agreement to such a statement. But is, is that true? Is our, is our family everything? Is our family the most important thing? Well, it's true that family is very important. And that's why these verses, though a short passage, is actually quite extraordinary as we see Jesus claim a family, but it's not the one 
that as the sentiment of those, those quotes and the idea, he, he doesn't adopt that same role. And, and to say, yes, send in my mother and my brothers, send in my sisters, they are my family, they are most important to me, he declares rather a different family to be most important to him. He declare the, declares the, the covenant people his true family. And what this text is designed to do is call us to do the same. Jesus considered his covenant family his true family. We are called to do the same. That's that, 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 that implied call, that implied question. Jesus calls these his own. And we'll look at that as that's extraordinary in and of itself. But why is it there? You see how it ends with that, who is part of my family? Those who do the will of the Lord. There's that, that calling. Are you part of my family? Are you part of those who I hold most Dear. So what we're going to look at this morning is, is this topic, this question, getting our true family right. Getting our true family right. Understanding properly who really is our true family, what is and who are our most important family members. You see in this situation, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. He's likely in a house or he's in a house and it's so packed. There's so many people present there that his family can't get to him, but they in some way get a message to him, likely conveyed through various people. You know, you can even see it, uh, tapping on the shoulder, hey, Jesus' family is here, and they they send that message through, and, and one finally tells that to Jesus, and Jesus takes this as an opportunity to teach something. And the point isn't actually, I don't love my biological family. Jesus' point isn't to reject his biological family. He's taking this opportunity to show them what family really matters. What profession of faith really matters. That's what we see here as we go through this text. And it's important that we do understand he's, he's not erasing or indicating that he doesn't care for his family at all. It would be wrong for us to think that. It's also scripture doesn't portray that. Jesus on the cross had told his apostle, his disciple John, to take care of his mother, clearly showing that he had a responsibility to her. The fifth commandment, which is one of his own commandments, tells us to honor our fathers and our mothers. There is that responsibility that we have to family. 1 Timothy 5.8, Jesus' word through his apostle, says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Jesus' word is clear. There is an obligation we have to our biological, physical families, and Jesus would never undermine that truth. He's rather, though, peeling back this opportunity and saying, hey, there's a greater truth to know. And he teaches the crowds there this important truth. Who is the most important family? Who will you claim as your own, and will he claim you? That's what's present in this text. Luke doesn't give us an explanation for why his family's even there. Mark gives us some more indications. Mark 3.21 indicates that they had come because they were concerned about him and his safety, and if you can even believe it, that, that they're likely, likely concerned about his, his present sanity at the moment, and that they are coming to, to sort of bring him away from these crowds and, and, and to make him stop and, and question if he needs a rest, question what he's saying. That, that could be why they're even there, but that's not Luke's 
Luke's own emphasis, Luke's emphasis is just this declaration, is just this point. Who is the true family of our Lord? So let's be clear, he's not dishonoring his family, but let's also be clear and make sure we get this right. The covenant family, membership with Christ, is the most important. It is the most important. And we could even say those who are most dear to our Lord are those who are part of his covenant family, his people. Those who he has chosen and those who respond in faith and belief and do his will. Those are the ones he calls. Our physical families are important to us, and yet we need to realize that they shouldn't be the most important thing to us. And that can be very hard for some of us to hear. In fact, I would, I would wager a guess for most of us here, our families will at time infringe upon our commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps not, it's through negative influences. Maybe it's just who we care most about. Who we spend most of our time pleasing or serving. And that's, again, not rejecting our obligation to please and serve our family. But we would all struggle with that. Who has priority of place in our hearts? Is it our husband or our wife? Is it our children? Is it our siblings? Is it our parents? Who's supreme there? Who's most important? You see, we are more closely connected with fellow believers, with fellow saints, than we even are to our biological families. We may share biological characteristics, we may have a common lineage, but an eternal destiny we don't necessarily share with them. Our eternal destiny, our eternal fellowship and communion of the saints goes far beyond what's merely biological. And that's only true of the people of God. We may have common characteristics, we may look and sound like family members, but as it stands in God's word, we truly only are the images of God himself, and we then actually represent, and we have more family relations, we have more family appearance in line with Christians than we necessarily do with our biological families. It's the people of God that matters. And so as we consider this topic, getting our true family right, we look at various aspects of that. One aspect of that, and a rather hard one, is getting our true family right involves forsaking family. It involves forsaking family. You see, Jesus is illustrating the point that will come up in other places as well, that we forsake all, we forsake all, to be part of Christ. We even forsake earthly families in our pursuit of Christ, and that it isn't right in any case for a family member to insert themselves between us and our Lord. It would be wrong for that to happen. And the amazing part is that's the way Jesus thinks of us. He will not allow his own earthly family to take the place of his disciples. He declares who is most important to him, Actually, in Matthew's account, Matthew's account adds a little detail that's pretty amazing. Matthew says that when he replied to the man who told him that his family was seeking him, he stretched out his hand toward his disciples 
He said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He, he stretched out his hand to those that brought the request, or, or to those that brought the request, rather. He stretched out his hand to his disciples and said, this is my family. These are my family. That's astonishing. That's astonishing that he would make that claim for those who weren't part of his own biological family, and yet he had taken and recognized in a closer way than anyone else. At this time, it's, we, we know from other places in Scripture, there were those in Jesus' family, his own siblings, that had, had yet not professed faith in him, had not believed in him. Jesus had, we know of, at least four brothers and two sisters. There could have been more than that. That's the, the, the very least who were part of his family. It's likely that his father Joseph had died at this time because he's not, he's not mentioned anywhere in the accounts of Jesus' ministry. He probably died before his ministry, and so it's his mother and his siblings. Those are his immediate family. And yet he claims his disciples. You see, we are at times called to forsake family, and that, that doesn't mean we have nothing to do with them doesn't mean we dishonor them. It means we have priority of place for God alone, for Christ alone. I'm going to read from a later chapter of Luke where we see this clearly. Luke 12, 49 to 53. Jesus says this, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. In getting our true family right, there is that fundamental principle that we as Christians are called to forsake our families, properly speaking, putting Christ before them. And Christ's own words here later in Luke tell you that this will happen among you and what this will mean will be division. It will array a family against itself. There will be splits. And who will you declare Whose side will you be on? You have one true family. Now, it's a tremendous blessing in God's plan to know that often our biological families correspond to those we are spiritually united to through Christ and faith. It's often a wonderful blessing to see faithful families and to see families where all members of that family do believe, and this can extend through generations. In fact, we could even say God ordinarily functions in such a way where the gospel and covenant community does descend through a family and through those children and their children, and there's promises even given by nature of being part of those families given to you in baptism. God often functions that way, and it's an amazing blessing we see all the time. And yet, as we're all well aware, that is not certainly a universal truth, nor is it always the case. And in those moments, it's incredibly sad. And it's incredibly difficult. And I know of many, and I stress the word many in this congregation, 
who have very close family members who are, in fact, wayward, who are not walking in the faith, who don't make any profession of faith, who reject it even, who speak against it. And how hard is that? You see, if this is your case, you feel quite acutely, most acutely, what Jesus was talking about, what he would bring. He would bring division. He would bring fire. And the hearts of some in the family would be for him, and the hearts of others wouldn't be. And that is a hard cross to bear. And yet God calls some of us to bear it. To an extent, every one of us bears it to a degree. We would all know friends or family members, perhaps more distant, that don't believe. And yet there's that greater degree how acutely it is felt when it is a son or a daughter, when it is a spouse, when it's a grandchild or great-grandchild. These are felt that much more dearly, that much more deeply. And so we... Ask then for these, how do we respond to such a text? How do we respond to such a truth that you will be called in this life to forsake family? Well, we try to witness to wayward family, and God never says, denies that truth. In fact, what we'd be called to do is never give up, and to the very end we pursue them, to the very end we seek their conversion, and we never lose hope that they can be indeed saved. We see that happen. The Lord, through the efforts of family members who pray and seek their loved one's own salvation, brings fruit there. And that shouldn't be downplayed, that shouldn't be ignored or forgotten. The Lord works through these things, And so how do you respond? Well, pursue your family, but, and I recognize that this will be very hard, very hard for us to hear, and some of us more than others. We also need to hear these words, we forsake all to follow Jesus. We also need to understand that truth, that our family member, our dear one, may not ever believe. And yet you are part of Christ's family. And even this, which again is a very hard truth, you need to hold Christ more dear than you do that family member. You need to hold on to him in such a way and so closely that though you will throw yourself in the pursuit of your loved one, their withdrawal, their waywardness does not take you away does not pull you away from Christ and your faith in him, does not ultimately pull you away from believing his faithfulness. You bear, in these ways, a very difficult cross. In fact, I would say it is perhaps the most difficult cross to bear, where there are those you love so much and are so close with who do not believe. And then what it comes down to is then who really, though, is your Lord? Who do you hold? Who will you forsake? Will you forsake Christ? Or will you be willing to forsake that family member? Forsake is a strong word, and I do want to be clear what I I mean by that. Again, it isn't an utter withdrawal. It isn't that you treat them poorly or without love or concern. It's, again, what I've said already. It's the priority of place. Who is first? It can happen in forsaking family where the mere fact that your loved one isn't following God draws you and pulls you away. 
because you think, how can God be faithful because this one I love so much doesn't believe? It can happen that the influence of close ones and loved ones can draw us away from the faith. This is why you are never to date, never to marry, and young people hear this, never to, to marry an unbeliever, never be united with an unbeliever. They can pull you away. That family influence, that desire and relationship can sap you away, pull you away, draw you away from Jesus himself. That can happen. Sometimes, because God isn't saving who we want him to, who we deeply desire him to save, we can struggle in our own faith. And likely that will happen, and yet it's a passage like this that we point to that is simultaneously both difficult to hear and yet the answer and the comfort as well, that you have one true family, it's Jesus Christ. And again, this is hard to hear, but it's the truth. He is better and closer, more important than your closest family member. And he declares for you and your faith that you are his. You are his family who are most dear. There is no one who stands closer to him in in, in his love and his desires than his people. And so as you go through this, you have to be aware of these burdens. Sometimes God calls his children to bear burdens, tremendous burdens, which is to choose him over family. What does that mean in certain cases? That might mean you have to accept. You have to accept and even even agree with the church discipline that comes upon your family member, though tragic and hard, that you don't ostracize or, or choose or choose this wayward family member in place of the church that is functioning faithfully and according to God's word. Do you reject that? Do you reject what Christ told to be done because you hold too closely this family member? You hold them idolatrously. That they, they are really your most important thing. They're really your God. It means choosing your church family and not neglecting them, even if the wayward family member makes you feel as if you can't belong to the church. That no one understands that, that what's gone on in your family is not enough and you want to withdraw from the church family. What this means is that you don't draw, withdraw yourself from Christ and his people. Because there is only one family that ultimately is most important. It means accepting God's will and loving him, even if it means your family does never believe. Saying it that way is the gospel truth. That's not to say that this doesn't come at a tremendous cost. That's not to say that that isn't the most painful pill to swallow in this earth. But God does call us to exercise faith in that way, and getting our family right involves forsaking our family We do this even in a family where there are all believers. Make no mistake, even if no one in our family is wayward, we still will have to choose Christ even over them. We will still have to guard against making them an idol rather than putting Christ first in all things. The second aspect of it, getting our true family right, also involves avoiding family dangers. Avoiding family dangers. And I see dual dangers in our understanding of family. The first danger is a neglected family. 
This happens when one doesn't obey God's word to raise children in the fear of the Lord. You see, part of forsaking all for the service of Christ, even in raising your children, is that we raise them to understand this truth. That you raise them to understand, hey, mom and dad are not most important. Your brothers and your sisters are not most important. Christ is most important. In fact, what we would say and teach our children is that even if I forsake the faith, even if I were to do that, Never forsake the faith. Now, obviously that's not conveying our heart's desire. I'm simply using that as an example for how, how Christ is front and center and no one else infringes on that. And so we cannot, in family dangers, neglect teaching our kids that truth or teaching ourselves that truth. But I want to spend a bit more time on, 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 on uh, sort of the opposite side of that danger, and that's where we overvalue family. A lot of this I'm taking from uh, Pastor Stephen Lawson. He had much to say about this, where we overvalue family. He talks about and, and asks, is your family more important to you than your family in Christ? Today we see family time being prioritized over church time and worship. And that isn't to say we don't have that obligation with family, but it is to recognize that in a overvaluing of family, family can take the place of the church, or family time can infringe on what should be given to the church. There can be in, in certain elements and of our culture, of, our, of the church culture, what's called a hyper-family movement. And there are dangers here where it puts the family unduly above other, other positions and places and institutions. It starts taking the role of the church when it shouldn't. It can result in a father having something of this unduly more authority and respect than even a pastor and elders in the church have in their respective offices. And when they're functioning that way, it sort of becomes a hyper-patriarchy where the father is predominant, where the family is all, and it functions as this certain unit and, and goes too far. And there are certain dangers that can come from that. Lawson recognizes some of them. Some of the things that have come from such a, a hyper-family movement is, is paedo-communion, bringing infants to take communion. Because it's part of that family. It's part of that, this is this family unit. We are saved. We're this covenant family. I am their father. I am bringing them to partake of the sacraments. Well, that's not fully correct. In fact, that's incorrect when it's hyperly taken that way and, and brought to that point. It can result in a family withdrawing from the church simply because the family takes too much time. And what we teach our, our kids and portray in our homes is that it's more important to have our family time on, on Sunday than it is to worship the Lord. That it's more important to have our family game night than it is to go and come on a different night to, to participate in a church function and fellowship with the saints. There is danger then in that way of, of overvaluing family. Now, now, family is very important. Family is the building block of the church and the society. There is a distinct role and sphere of authority there, but it's not to, meant to infringe on these other roles as well. You see, family in this way is meant to be taken and brought into the church, composed and comprised, yes, of a multiplicity of families, but composing one people, one family of God. So there are dangers there, but there's blessings as we join ourselves with the family of God. No single family is equipped and able to deal with everything it will face in this earth. Let me illustrate that. Let's suppose someone in the family is, is 
facing something, some difficulty or trial, perhaps it's lust or anxiety or drunkenness or same-sex attraction or gender confusion or, or pick one. And there, there, it's likely that no one in that family is equipped and able to respond to such a dilemma, to such a trial, and yet the Church of Jesus Christ is equipped for that. You see, it's meant to be brought in that we would all bless each other, that we would use gifts to help, the, the, to be in service and enrichment to the other members. There's tremendous blessing to know the people of God. It also shapen, shapes us, sharpens us. There's that statement, iron sharpens iron. I've experienced that personally, where I used to hold to certain beliefs or ideas, and through the influence of godly men and women, through what they have taught me, shaped my own faith to to reject what I once might have held to because I saw there was greater wisdom there. They had greater understanding. We need the church. We need the family. Now, this is all a, a sort of byproduct uh, application for what Jesus is talking about here, but it's part of it. It's part of prioritizing the family of God. Lawson writes, God's design for every believer is the, is the body of Christ, where there are young and old, where there are male and female, where there are new believers and mature believers, and the more securely one is rightly connected to the body of Christ, the stronger their earthly family will be positioned. Jesus doesn't diminish his responsibility, nor yours to your family, but he puts it right. This is a comfort to us. This is a comfort for orphans. It's a comfort for those who never knew a close family. In the congregation, in this congregation, as well as the broader universal church, we have with each other mothers and fathers, sister and brothers, sons and daughters. That's the communion of believers. Psalm 27 shows us this truth. Psalm 27, 9 and 10. Hide not your face from me. This is what David says to the Lord. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David describes there, or the psalmist describes there, that the family of God, God himself, is more dear and takes us in even when we are forsaken, even when our profession of faith means our families will turn away and reject us. We have a family here. We see two more of these, getting the, the family right. We'll go through these more quickly. Getting our true family right is recognizing family values. Recognizing family values. You see this in verse 21 of our text. Jesus says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those are the family values of the people of God. They hear the word of God and they do it. There's faith, there's a response, and then there's activity, there's action. This is not to say you can earn your spot in the family of God, that by doing these things, by doing God's will, you will earn your place among his family. No, this is a faith that acts. Jesus is not teaching a salvation by works, but a salvation that is present and clear, a salvation that works. 
It proves the legitimacy of the faith, and these are the family values. This is where we don't have an empty profession, but we have fruit and a life to back it up. And Jesus is saying how important this is. You don't just simply profess a faith. You live it. It's that idea of, of being the, the same part, the same family. You appear like the family. You portray the same fruit. You have the same values as the head of the family. And you live that. And so we can even answer the question. We can say, who are part of Christ's family? Who is the family of Christ? And he answers it. It's those who hear it. It's those who do it. It's those who obey his word and respond. Luke shows us, has been showing us, it isn't those works. The centurion's faith that happened a little while ago as we looked at that, what was amazing about his faith was that it was humble, was that it did not stand on his merit. We also went through recently the woman who was coming to Jesus and anointing his feet and crying and and, and portraying such faith. And Jesus told her, your faith has saved you, but her actions, her activities showed the strength of her faith. Those who belong to the family of Christ are those who hear his word and do it. We don't have a leg up on the kingdom of God because we are just part of the church. And how can we say that? If Jesus' own biological family did not have that, that control or that, that, that activity to be able to tell that we are the closest thing to you, if, if Jesus' biological family wasn't afforded that right, then how could we be simply by being members? It's those who hear the word of God and do it. And so the last element of getting our family right is the comfort we take from it, family comfort. This is what I want to end on today, and it's the beauty of this text. It's the beauty of this passage. Jesus makes clear here how dear we are to him, how much he loves us, how much he loves you. He declares that his people are more important to him than anyone else. Jesus had to forsake much in this pursuit. In fact, Jesus had to bear being forsaken by the Father himself. Jesus knows what it means to forsake family. Jesus knows what it means to live according to family values. Jesus knows what it means to to avoid the dangers of family. And Jesus knows what it means to take the comfort of the covenant people of God and even provide that comfort to them. We began with that question, how important is family? And though those original quotes got it wrong, it isn't actually our biological family that's most important. When it's applied to Christ and the covenant, those quotes are, in fact, right. Who is the most important? What is the most important? It's having your family be Jesus Christ and him alone. And in this way... Jesus says to you personally before the world and before God himself, he points directly at you, those who believe and do his will. He points at you and says, this is my family. They belong to me. There is no more comforting truth than that. That Jesus declares us as his family, even as we are to declare him. Amen. Let's go before him in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you and praise your marvelous name. We praise you for your great plan of redemption. 
that has called your Son to come to this earth, and even in these few verses declare a profound and wonderful truth that you choose your people, that they are your family who you hold dear, and yet that accompanying charge that we are called to hold you dear, that we are called to respond in obedience, in faith, that we are called to, in some cases, forsake family, that we are called to to avoid family dangers, that we are called to trust in you, that we are called to be comforted in this truth. And we pray that is exactly what will happen. Lord, help this truth guide us in the week ahead. And Lord, nourish our faith through this, we pray in your name.